0: I'm not quite sure how this tradition began. Some would say it began with Native Americans several hundred years ago. Others might say it started with a grandmother who was hoping for peaceful conversation before a Thanksgiving meal. But however this tradition began, whether it was several days ago, several years ago, or maybe for some of us several decades ago, most of us in this room at some point in our life sat around the Thanksgiving table and were asked one simple question. What are you thankful for? Now, to some, this seems like an easy task. Say the first thing that comes to mind, hope that it's accepted by your parents, and let the spotlight move to the person sitting next to you. Mothers in the room sitting around the Thanksgiving table are hoping for a Hallmark-esque moment, Where the meal is spread around the table, the family's holding hands, and everyone seems to be thankful. Parents around the table are just thankful that for this short moment, the kids don't seem to be arguing. And the kids around the table, if they're smart, know there's several ways to play this moment. Say something sentimental enough that it'll be accepted by your mother, but not too sentimental that you'll be asked to pray the Thanksgiving prayer. Now as we transition from your Thanksgiving table to our text this morning, we realize that the Apostle Paul never sat around a Thanksgiving table. This holiday started many years after he existed. But in our text this morning in Colossians chapter 1, we get a sneak peek into what he probably would say if he was asked this question, and also what he would pray. So I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be focusing our time this morning in verses 3 to 14. Colossians 1, verses 3 to 14, that's page 983 on your pew Bible. Let's pray before we read the word of God. Father, we thank you for the gift that it is that on this first day of December we can gather together as your family knowing that we can hear from you because our Bibles are open. So, Father, as we read your word, as we meditate on your word, as we think about your word, we pray that you would use these words to transform us more into the image of your Son. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. This is the word of the Lord. We always thank God And understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us the love of the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption of sins, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. It doesn't take long in this text to realize that the Apostle Paul is bursting with thankfulness. In verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. If you're familiar with the New Testament, we know this is not the first time that Paul says this. He starts out his letter in 1 Thessalonians saying, We give thanks to God always for you. He starts out his letter in Philippians saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He starts his letter in 1 Corinthians saying, I give thanks to my God always for you. And here in his letter to Colossians, it's no different. He says, We always thank God when we pray for you. And three of the things that he mentions right away when he says what he is thankful for for the people of the church of Colossae Our faith, love, and hope. Look with me in verse 4. He's thankful when he prays because he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now if you've been with us over the past several months, we've been going through the book of Galatians as a church. And we've been seeing how serious Paul takes this command of the people of God when they come before God, not finding their righteousness based on the things that they have done, but finding their standing in God based on the people putting their faith in Christ Jesus. And the first thing that Paul says he's thankful for is these people in Colossae, they put their faith in Christ Jesus. And we realize that one of the most obvious outworkings of faith in Christ Jesus would be love for the family of God. Now, I don't know if you're someone who likes to underline or circle in your Bible, but in verse 4, you might consider underlining or circling the word all. It says he's thankful that he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Notice Paul doesn't mention that they love the people who they agree with. They love the people who they have the same views as. They love the people who are easy to get along with. But Paul is thankful that these people put their faith in Christ and that they love their fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And both their faith and their love is rooted in the fact that, like it says in verse 5, that they have hope laid up for them in heaven. Now, it's important when we start a letter like this to remember the context in which it, in which it was written. Paul is not sitting in a hotel room typing this letter on a MacBook, Paul is sitting in a prison cell recording this letter that was going to be sent to this church. And he doesn't, he doesn't say he's thankful for anything material they have. But he's thankful for the one thing which goes beyond the temporary and into the eternal. That these people have a hope that is laid out for them in heaven. Paul knew that those who were reading this letter, if they followed what it said, if they grew in a knowledge of the gospel, it's possible they would at one point find themselves in a prison cell too, just like him. And Paul reminds them that our thankfulness should not be based on temporary things. But our thankfulness must be based on the eternal. Paul's thankful for their faith, for their love, and for their hope. And as I think about our people and and all of you today, as one of your pastors, I want to say I'm thankful for the faith and the love and the hope I see among us. I'm thankful for the times I sit in the pew or I stand in the baptismal with people and I hear proclamations of people who are saying, this is who I used to be, but today I'm recognizing that I put my faith in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for the times as our church family here at Old North Church, when people are in need, we are sacrificially giving to help them. At times, we as a church find ourselves on the end of giving and at times, as members of this church, we find ourselves at the end of receiving. And as followers of Jesus here at Old North Church, we realize there is more than what we see in this world. There is hope laid up for us in heaven. Paul was thankful for what he saw in the church of Colossae, and I am so thankful for what I experience here as one of your pastors. Now, as he continues explaining what he's thankful for, when he moves beyond the faith and the love and the hope, he explains that the people who first received the gospel there in Colossae, they received this message of the gospel from a man called Epaphras. Look with me at verse 6. It says, "Um, This gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood it. The gospel message, which can transform our lives today, is the same gospel message that transformed the people of Colossae hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it was first delivered by this man, Apaphras. Now, I, th- I find it interesting in verse 7, it says that Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, That has made known to us your love. Notice that Paul is not thankful that Epaphras was a skilled minister of the gospel. Paul is not thankful that Epaphras was eloquent of his speech. But what Paul was thankful for is that Epaphras was faithful at presenting the gospel to these people who were far from God. And it makes me wonder how many evangelism efforts through the centuries have been stalled out because Christians have been focusing on the fact that they're not as skilled as they wish that they were instead of just being thankful to the task that God puts before us. Think about this. In our high school ministry here, I love serving as our youth pastor. In our high school ministry here, we do a ton of Bible trivia. And if I was to ask you who wrote the book of Colossians, all of, most of us would know it was Paul. However, I th- was thinking of a fictional conversation that could happen in heaven, where someone runs up to Paul and they say, Paul, tell me about the time you delivered the gospel to the people in Colossae. Tell me about the time. I want to know all about it. Paul says, I wasn't there. It was him. It was Epaphras who delivered the gospel. Hundreds of years in the future, many of us know Paul but few of us know Epaphras. And it reminds us, our goal should not be to be remembered in the future. Our goal on earth should be to deliver the gospel to those who need it, that it might change their eternal destination. Paul was thankful for the faith, for the love and the hope. He was thankful that the gospel message made it To the church of Colossae. And in verse 8, he concludes his thankfulness. Now, it would have been okay for Paul to say, you know what, this is what I'm thankful for, and to move on to the next thing. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see God at work in my life, it's easy sometimes to put my spiritual life on cruise control and to hope that it continues as time goes on. I see God at work, I'm thankful for what He's doing. So let's just continue moving along at the same pace. The danger of that is we can become complacent and we can miss the full extent of what God has for us. And we notice here that Paul did not put his time in cruise control. Instead, Paul was thankful for what God had done in the gospel, but he began to pray that God would continue to work even more we are so thankful for the work of God in the gospel. But we pray that God would work even more. So look with me at verse 9. He concludes his observation of how, what God has done in Christ in the gospel. And in verse 9, he, he continues by praying that God would continue to work. Verse 9 says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul asked God that he would continue to work and he would help them to understand the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a good prayer to pray, Because it's difficult to understand what the will of God is. One pastor helps us understand this statement. It's going to come up here on the screen. He writes, This is not an inner impression or feeling, but a deep and thorough knowledge of the will of God that is finally and completely revealed in the word of God. This pastor helps us understand that what Paul is praying for here when he asks that they would understand the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This can be accomplished as the people of God know the word of God in order to know the will of God. And as Paul prays that they would understand what God's will is, it says in verse 10, look with me in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is so important. Paul reminds the people that he's praying they would understand the will of God so that it might affect their walk in the world. He connects what they learn with how they live. Right, These things must go hand in hand. It's of no advantage to fill our minds with knowledge of God if we're not going to be transformed to live in a, in a manner that honors him but it's also no good to, li- to attempt to live in a way that honors him if we're not going to fill our mind with the knowledge of God. And Paul shows us several ways how he asked God for them to walk. Look with me, continuing in verse 11. It's as if Paul is saying, as you walk in a way worthy of God, this is how I want you to walk. Walk this way. Verse 10. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As we walk following God, there should be fruit in our life that points to him. That doesn't point to us saying how good of a person we are. right? If you're walking along and you see an apple on the ground, the point of the apple on the ground is you can see the apple and you're like, oh, that must be an apple tree that it fell from. You're walking along, you see a pear on the ground. Oh, that must be a pear tree, right? Unless a little kid is like throwing fruit, then like throws everything off. But right, fruit points to the tree. Whatever fruit is on the ground points to what tree it came from. And it's as if what Paul is praying for is these people, as they walk in a way that honors God, there should be fruit in their lives that when the world looks at them, they should see their Father in heaven and know that they are following him. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, that those who bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God are fully pleasing to God. He continues in verse 11 that as you walk in a way that is fully pleasing to God, in verse 11 he explains that you are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul reminds the church in Colossae. That if they are going to live the life that God intends them to live. It requires. Not living on their own strength. But instead living on the strength of the Lord. If you're going to live the Christian life the way that God wants you to do it. It's going to require you to depend on the strength of of God. All of us in this room know this. Some of us know it more now than maybe other seasons of our life due to struggles that we're going through. But think about how sad it would be to get to the end of our day and realize that there was unlimited power of God that he was waiting to unleash in our life to encourage us as we're going through trials And we never used it. Paul wants them to be strengthened with the power of God according to his glorious might, not their glorious might. And then the second half of verse 11, it explains why we need this. It says, for endurance and patience with joy. Talk about three words that define the Christian life pretty well. Endurance. Following Jesus is not about today. Following Jesus is about today and years in the future. That some of us in this room who have been following Jesus for a very long time realize that through the ups and downs of life, Jesus is faithful. He says patience. Realizing that life isn't always the way we want it to be. Realizing that people, even other Christians require patience at time. Because on this side of heaven, we're still not perfected. But let's not, the, let's not miss the last word here in this sentence, with joy. The Christian life, as we walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, our lives should be marked by joy. And that leads me to ask the question today, is your life marked by joy? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, and if he does within us what he says he does, it is impossible to live a life following Jesus without joy. And this joy should be evident in the world that we live. And then we see here, let's continue on in verse 12, the last description he gives of this is how you should walk. He's praying to God and says, God, as they walk in a way that's pleasing to you, he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As a follower of Jesus, our lives should be marked by thankfulness because God has already qualified us in Jesus Christ. Now what's so important to notice here is that the word qualified is past tense. Jesus already qualified you Right? Some of us, maybe even some of us in this room, are, are living our life. We're trying to live a life and walk in a way that pleases God. Hoping that at the end of our time, God will say, you're qualified. Come into heaven. But Paul reminds the church of Colossae that when Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again, he already qualified you to become part of the family of God. Your Christian life does not need to be like a resume builder, that you're putting as many good works as you can on the resume, hoping that one day God may accept you. That will drive you crazy and give you anxiety. But Paul says, God, may they walk in a way that honors you, and may they be thankful because you have already qualified them in Christ. And at the, at the end of verse 12, he ends his prayer of thankfulness, right? He starts by saying in verses 3 to 8, by saying, I'm observing, this is what I'm thankful for. And then in verses 9 to 12, he says, now that I'm thankful for what God's doing, now I'm going to pray that God, you're going to continue to work among these people. You're going to continue to transform them and change them. Then we see a minor change here between verses 12 and 13. Notice at the end of verse 12, it says that that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And then notice at the beginning of 13, it says, He has delivered us, not just you, but us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Think about these majestic two words that Paul uses in verse 13. He uses the word delivered, and he uses the word transferred. This is what happened to you at the moment God saved you. At the moment God saved you, he delivered you from darkness. Not only from darkness, but from the domain of darkness. The Bible teaches that we were dead in our sin. We were stuck in darkness. We couldn't get out on our own. But Paul reminds them that God has delivered them. He did more than just deliver. He transferred them out of the kingdom of Satan... And into the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian, God has delivered you and God has transferred you. This is why one of the craziest things Christians can say is that you have a boring testimony. Right? Many of us know what this is like, right? You're sitting around the campfire at youth camp. You're sitting around the family, right? Someone's up on stage sharing their testimony. You're like, man, I have a boring testimony compared to that person. This is not boring. He delivered us from darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of his son. You cannot do this on your own. And it's as if Paul is telling the church in Colossae know who you are. You used to be lost in the darkness, and now you're in the light. You used to be under control of the devil and now you're under the control of God. And he beautifully ends with the gospel in verse 14. This is the gospel that in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the solution to the ultimate human problem. There's a lot of problems in our world today But our biggest problem is not money, is not shelter, is not food. Our biggest problem is sin. And Paul makes it loud and clear in the beginning. It's as if if we could read, if we could um, understand by his writing what he was doing. It's like he's shouting here, Jesus has redeemed you. That in Jesus you have redemption from your sins. And he concludes this little sandwich here, where he began by talking about what he's thankful that God has done in the past. In the middle, he explained what he's asking God to do. And then in verses 13 and 14, he's closing the sandwich and saying, wait, in case you missed it, this is what God has done. Church, what God has done for you is miraculous. And we should rejoice in this. Which I guess leaves us to ask the question, where does this leave us today? Well, I think the first place it leaves us is if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I'm in the darkness. I'm not under the domain of God yet. I'm in the darkness. I'm set apart. If that's you this morning, or if that's someone that you know, the message I have for you is the same message that Epaphras first proclaimed to him back in Colossians 1 verse 4, that of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're lost in darkness, the solution is not to try harder. The solution is to put your faith in the one who has already accomplished what is necessary for you. And that is really good news in a world full of bad news. But where does it leave us, those of us in this room who already are part of the family of God? Those of us who are following Jesus, who are attempting to faithfully follow him? Well, I think that this leaves us the same place where the Apostle Paul was. On this Thanksgiving weekend, we should be thankful for the work that God has done in us but we should not become complacent. We should pray that God would work even more. Because what if the work of God in your life is only a taste of what he's going to accomplish in the future? What if it's only a taste? May we be a people who are thankful for the work of God but are ever prayerful that God would continue to work more and more. Now, as we close this morning, let's go back to your Thanksgiving table. The turkey's still there. The mashed potatoes are still warm. Everyone's attempting to come up with something to say that they are thankful for. And I wonder what you said Or what you would say. But this morning, we got a very clear picture of what Paul would say. I don't think it's any coincidence that in Paul's prayer of thankfulness for the prayer of the people of Colossae, he did not list one material thing. He did not list one thing that would be here today and gone tomorrow. It is not wrong to be thankful for what God has given us. We should be thankful. I am very thankful for the ways that God has provided for me in this past year. But Paul reminds us that we should primarily be thankful for the spiritual things God does among us. And maybe we need to recalibrate what we would say around that Thanksgiving table. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the work that you have done and are doing and will do among our people here at Old North Church. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us spiritually, that you would grow us closer to Christ. And I pray, God, that you would continue and continue and continue to do it more and more and more. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.